and welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And it's a conversation that I'm really glad we got to have because I actually wanted to have our guest on last season. But just because of the way things worked out, I just couldn't. And in many respects, I'm glad because the conversation we got to have this time around is the first in-person episode that I've ever recorded. And it was such a wonderful experience, and I'm really hoping that I get to do more of those. But just having having Killian across the room from me is just truly, truly an experience like no other. And I just want to give a big shout out to Killian for making the journey all over to London to record this episode. Uh, Killian, for those of you that do not know, is somebody that I have the exceptional privilege of calling a friend. We met in my first year in Ireland, and I'm not going to complain because honestly, my life is richer for his friendship. And... There is so much that I have learned through him. And this episode is just another example of how Killian continues to allow me to grow my understanding of how the world works. And the conversation today is a conversation that I've really never had before. It's a conversation about altruism and effective altruism and how Killian, with his work, is trying to make a difference in the world. And we talk about his journey. We talk about his journey going up. It's a very casual episode there, there were loose structures when he decided to rock onto the podcast. But the whole idea of me just wanting him on here was to capture the person that he is in the hopes that some of you may listen to this and go, that's a pretty cool dude. And I want more of that for Killian Crossland because man oh man is Killian. Just Killian, I love you and people should love you. And you are just this incredible human being that I feel so grateful to have come to know and somebody that I got to call a friend. So that is all I'm going to introduce in this episode. This conversation is, it takes tangents that I didn't really expect to. There's, there's good humor in this as well. There's a whole section about headphones and audiophile setups that I had to edit out in the interest of time. But without further wait, my incredible friend, somebody I'm so, so very grateful to get to know, Killian Crossan. I would, but I'd like you just to go again and use some more adjectives. So wonderful, amazing. Uh, <laughs> there's so many ways to describe him. Oh my God. No, Stellar, I'm just... breathtaking. <laughs> go on. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, yeah, my name's Killian. I'm living in Oxford, originally from Ireland. I run and co-founded an organization called Training for Good, which kind of helps upskill people to have impactful careers. And yeah, in my spare time, I like running. And I've recently gotten into baking. I've been baking focaccia. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, vegan focaccia? Vegan focaccia. Why didn't you bring some today, Killian? Because although I say I've been baking, I've only done it like twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's two more times than I ever attempted to bake anything. You've never baked anything Well, before. I did try baking a banana bread once and it burnt. <laughs> it, <laughs> it turned out... I want to say banana, but it was like charcoal. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Um, yeah, a lot of smoke, a lot of burnt hopes and dreams. Yeah, but you just you, call, you just call it smoky banana bread or something then. Yeah, well, I'm excited to kind of talk about today. We're talking about mm-hmm. effective altruism and it's a conversation or it's a topic that I know very little about, but Killian knows a lot about. And I think it's interesting to, no, it's interesting to have this conversation because Growing up in capitalism is going to be a theme of the early discussion, but I think for me, till till I came to college and till I kind of started meeting people like yourself, I was just like, wait, no, capitalism isn't the only way. I'm just like, you know, hoarding your money and buying, I don't know, Gucci shoes is is not all that stylish <laughs> or beneficial to anybody, even yourself. 
So I think what I'd like to do is maybe start digging into or start by talking about a bit of your past, mm -hmm. kind of growing up. And so the models you grew up around, the influences you had, and essentially before you kind of obviously grew up and understood things the way you did, what your ideas or ideals of who you wanted to be mm -hmm. were. Um, so take it away. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, models wise, there's very few models around uh, RD in Dundalk. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to make a joke there about like fashion models. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> we're, we're an ugly bunch up in, uh, in Louth. You could cut that Nonsense. Out. The man in front of me is absolutely stunning. I'm sorry, I will. Oh, nonsense. Yeah, I do speak nonsense. Though. Like 90% of this, of what I say here, you'll have to cut because it's going to be absolute nonsense. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I guess like, so I grew up kind of in the middle of nowhere in, mm -hmm. in Ireland. Um, like my, I guess like the road I live on or like the area I live on. I mean, you, you, you've been there, yeah. right? It's like, it's like a little hamlet, I think you call it. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's like 20 houses there. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of spent my childhood, you know, in the fields. I didn't really know. Like, I, like if you'd asked me, even, even 14 year old me, like what's capitalism? Yeah. No, I wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. I think actually, I actually kind of, it's weird. I actually kind of clearly remember as well, like the first time I kind of like started to realize a bit more about like, like concretely what class and capitalism actually was. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like when I was 16, the first time I went to, uh, I went abroad by myself and I went to the UK and I started speaking to people about, like, I guess people started asking me like what schools I went to and stuff like this, which is just super interesting. Cause like I went to like, uh, not a great school, but like, you know, not a terrible school in the dock. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just started to realize that there was like a quite a big class divide in the UK that didn't really exist in my school, for example, because the dock's like a relatively small place. There's only one private school okay. in the in the town. So like, you know, in my school there would there were people of like all classes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I like yeah, I'm not really sure what my ideas or ideals were. I suppose what I'm wanting to know yeah. is say for me, when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a banker or I wanted to own a company. Because mm -hmm. I saw it in the movies that company owners get to wear like chic suits, mm -hmm. uh, travel in like luxury limousines mm -hmm. and just make a shit ton of money. And as I grew up for me, I was like, well, don't really have a company that I can found. I have no ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe maybe a lawyer sounds sounds good to me because I come from a city with a high court. That was a that was a thing that people were doing. Mm -hmm. I used to be very good with political science in school. So I was like, this is a straight pathway mm. into getting into law school. Mm. Straight pathway to the money. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then obviously that didn't come to be. I'm now training to be a psychotherapist. So complete mm. pivot uh, from a life of being a multimillionaire to, you know, a life of joy and helping people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That sort of. And if you make your millions along the way via the podcast, you know. Uh, yeah, you see, if that happens, it happens. But um, <laughs> I think it's stopped, for me, it stopped being a focus on money and focus on like leaving something good behind. Right. Um, I see what you mean. If yeah. that makes sense. So in that respect, I'm curious what like your goals or aspirations were growing mm. up. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think like, well, when I was five, I wanted to be a fire engine, right? No, this is genuine. Uh, a fire engine? A fire engine. Not, not even a fireman. <laughs> I really wanted to be a fire engine. And a lot of people would explain to me why this was impossible. That was when I was five. And then I think, because I was like, I guess maybe I was like, did quite well in school when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So people would kind of tell me maybe what I wanted to be when I was younger. Yeah. And kind of like some of the things were like, engineer, doctor, kind of like just the things that like people who do well in school get told they should be. I always had an idea that I kind of wanted, I guess like as I got a bit older, maybe like young teens, I got this idea that I wanted to be like 
a businessman who started a company and yeah made billions mm-hmm. and like yeah i don't know i don't want to like compress like the narrative of my childhood too much into that because there was also definitely big parts of me that wanted to like you know help people and stuff but i think that was like maybe when i was like in my teens that was kind of what i was thinking mm-hmm. which is like partly what led me to do like i started to do all business subjects when i was in in like the final years of school yeah uh, and the reason for that was because i was like dead set on you know getting into business and and making making billions uh, that was what that's what the hope was god damn beat my millions by billions exactly yeah and if you if you meet me at billions i'm gonna go to zillions so <laughs> you're not you're not winning here <laughs> but yeah like that was that, 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 that was kind of the goal for a while and then I think, but I didn't study business because I was like, oh, well, what does business teach you? Yeah, so I decided to study maths and English, which does not help anyone start a company. Well, maybe it does. Well, maybe, maybe it does. But yeah, that was kind of, that was, those were kind of my ambitions when I, was, when, when I was a bit younger. Okay, and how did that change then? How has that changed, I suppose, before we talk about how that started changing? Well, I guess like I, well, well now I have no ambition to make billions billions I'm, I'm i'm comfortable with you know hundreds of millions now uh, <laughs> and i've come to terms with that plan uh, no yeah i have no ambitions to make billions like i have no ambition to make any money really mm-hmm. like to the extent that and like ashling my partner for those who are listening yeah will you know maybe we'll push back a bit on this but like i something i've been very seriously considering doing is like taking this pledge that you basically never like you donate everything you earn above like x dollars mm-hmm. um which would be yeah, and I was thinking of selling that dollars, that X, pretty low. Yeah. So, like, it's kind of changed pretty radically now. Like, I basically, like, I'm committed to using, like, the rest of my career to help people as effectively as I can. Yeah. What brought that change? Or, like, how did that start changing from being, obviously, a fire truck to then making billions to <laughs> that? Yeah. So, I think the fire trucks to the billions <laughs> thing, you know, that's... Ooh, that was... A <laughs> Sorry. Um transformation it was a transformation yeah it was a transformation <laughs> if we ever saw one and yeah you know man, that was a hard transformation to go through when i realized that actually um it was beyond you know the physical limits that i could be a fire truck uh, all that gasoline didn't do it for you no i drank a lot of gasoline <laughs> you know uh but yeah, no, so sorry. Uh, yeah, for, uh, so from fire truck to billionaire was just growing up slightly. Yeah. There was probably loads of other things in between. And just, yeah. like, there was probably loads of other careers I considered. Mm-hmm. Maybe sumo wrestler. I feel like everyone considered sumo wrestler for a while. <laughs> Did you consider sumo wrestling? I considered wrestling because of WWE. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we used to watch that as a kid. But yeah, no, I guess like going from like wanting to be a billionaire to like not wanting to be a billionaire. Part of it was just like seeing, you know, people living in extreme poverty and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of realizing how big some of the world's problems were. Yeah. Like global poverty, like climate change, like all, all of these things that just were like huge problems that were happening in our lifetime mm-hmm. that people can solve or like can contribute towards solving if you try. Yeah. Uh, I think just like getting more familiar with these things and like taking these taking some of these ideas of like about these problems like a bit more seriously, I think just like really changed my mind and mm-hmm. like kind of shifted my priorities a little bit. Okay. We've all grown up in a very capitalistic society. I at least for me, I never knew of another way to be or live mm-hmm. than, you know, mm-hmm. you break your back, you work a solid nine to five, five days a week, and you pray and hope that your bosses above you, you know, promote you or kind of see your worth. Or if you're lucky enough, you have a family business and you're still doing the nine to five. It's all about the money. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have my own journey of looking past it. Mm-hmm. 
But I'm wondering for you, how did you start questioning mm-hmm. and how did you start unlearning it? So like, I think, I do think genuinely, like it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. I think when I was younger, like I did kind of think about some of these things to mm-hmm. some degree. I mean, maybe to a much, a much lesser degree than I do now, but you know, in Ireland we had like a trucker box. You ever, you ever heard of the trucker box? No, no, go. It's like, uh, so during Lent, one of the charities in Ireland basically would send out a box to everyone and all the houses would have it. And like, usually houses would have rules of like, if you, either you give like 10 cent in a day or like, if you do something, you have to put money in the, mm-hmm. in the trucker box. And then it goes to like a charity that does whatever. And I do remember like seeing ads for trucker and this kind of concept and like being kind of like, you know, completely won over by the idea that, like, I remember saying to my mum once, like I was super young, maybe like six or seven being like, oh, wow, when I'm older, I'm going to give like a hundred euro to mm-hmm. those like kids who need it. Yeah. And like, so I guess like when I was younger, I did kind of have some of, some of these ideas, just like didn't really understand much. Yeah. But what really, what really probably like maybe the most pivotal moment was when I got to the end of secondary school, I was, I was quite young. I, mm-hmm. I think I finished school when I was like 16, just turning 17. So I had like, I felt like I had lots of time. And I decided to take a year out and go and teach in South America for a year with like a charity that is from the UK. And they like do like placements in like different schools and stuff. Yeah. So I went to teach in Guyana for a year. And I think that experience probably like more than anything else has kind of shaped the trajectory of my life. Because like going in before I went on that year abroad, mm-hmm. I still had this intention of like, oh, like I want to do like a startup that makes billions. And then kind of by the end of that year, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I just do not want to do, I just, uh, I just can't do that. Yeah. Maybe I should like do something around like education or teaching or like just do something else that kind of like yeah. actually helps the world rather than extracting from the world for my own benefit. Yeah. And I think that experience was probably more than anything else was like. What was it about your time in Guyana that made that? I think it's just being exposed to different like ways of life or different worldviews. You know, I, I grew up in like a small town in Ireland. Yeah. You know, you're just surrounded by, you're just surrounded by what you're surrounded by, right? Like, yeah. 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 So I think, I think, honestly think it was just being exposed to different like ways of living. Okay. And, and, and just seeing as well, like, I mean, seeing like a lot of people, like, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it too much, but like the average amount that somebody lives on in the village I was in was just like so much lower than, you know, what we live on in the West. Yeah. Uh, and kind of just seeing that and just like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was like, under, like just starting to think a bit, starting to think through a bit more, like kind of why are certain countries like the way they are, like what, what effect has colonialism had on like, mm-hmm. on different countries and on like different people around the world. And like, and also like what effect is like, like I guess maybe, maybe it's like starting to question like, oh, like why do I have the right to like earn X or whatever, or like, you know, focus on myself when there's like, I don't know, like people who don't have like teachers or whatever. Yeah. Like, like there's no teachers in like a lot of the schools yeah. in, in rural Guyana. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go and do what? Like start, like become a lawyer or start a business or something. Why would I do that when I could like yeah do something else that actually would help some people? Yeah. It's kind of a hard thing to talk about because I don't want to sound too like quite savory here because it's not it's not really about that. It's more yeah. like it's more just like there's, there there are some people there are some problems that like need people to work on them. Yeah, and there's and you can either like work on those problems to help solve them. Yeah, or you can I don't know go into like start a business or do whatever just to like essentially help yourself and have a nice life. And I don't like I don't necessarily like think badly of anyone for doing that, but just for me it was like I'd rather spend my career or my life kind of focused on like solving some of these problems. Yeah, I, I do want to say, I don't think any of that sounds like a white savior thing. Mm. To me, it sounds like an experience where you genuinely, everything you were grown to believe or like had ideas of kind mm. of growing up, 
suddenly all of that changed as soon as you found in a place where like people, I'm guessing, didn't have access to a lot of the basic facilities that you did kind of growing up. Mm-hmm. And the question of like, why is this fair? And totally. kind of questioning your purpose of like, how can I be a part of making sure this doesn't happen again in the future? Like mm-hmm. make, being, being a source or a conduit of change, if anything mm-hmm. else. But also just, I think it's, it's about the different direction that that took you. Uh, mm. Because as you said, you know, you kind of went into that thing of like, oh, what company am I going to make my billions through mm-hmm. to that doesn't fucking matter. Mm. <laughs> How do I make sure that I can be, a, again, conduit of change for people? Mm. And I think that's admirable. And I think I met you at a time when like that was very much a part of you. What I'm, what I'm wondering, uh, there's, there's another thing, sorry, there's another thing you said about the colonial experience. And I have the... How do you say, I, I live in two worlds mm-hmm. where every time I've been back home, mm-hmm. I can see how privileged I am in that country mm-hmm. where like I have access to, you know, I can sit in an apartment in London and record this episode and talk about these things. That is a privilege in on itself that mm-hmm. many of my people will never have. Totally. But also it just like, it's, it's the thing you said of, I mean, we were both from former colonies and like our colonial experiences are very different mm-hmm. for very different reasons. and. It's the average living wage for someone in London mm-hmm. is 100 times or 10 times higher mm-hmm. than like the monthly wage of somebody. A lot of people in India, especially rural India. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Doesn't seem fair. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting me of how, because I'm guessing a lot of people have gone through that program and a lot of people have, you know, done work like that and come back from it as like, that was a cool thing I got to be part of. Mm-hmm but never took, took that far. Whereas like you've now devoted your life to, it's become a core tenant of your mission, if you will. Mm. Which brings me to the work you're doing now. Um, When we were talking about potential ideas for episodes, you suggested that effective altruism would be something you'd be interested in talking about. Mm. And I had not a fucking clue (laughs) what effects, I know what altruism is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what effective means, but... (laughs) What are these two words together? Um, And I I still know very little. I mean, I did my Googles Uh (laughs) before sitting down today. I was up last night Googling effective altruism. Yeah, like a good podcast host. I did Google the thing you mentioned. Yeah, of course. But here's the thing, like I know very little, which is why I'm also quite this is an opportunity for me to learn. So but yeah. I would wager that a couple of people listening in as well don't know what it is. And I, I'd mm. also guess that there was a time you didn't know what that was as well. Mm-hmm. So how, how did that come about? What is it first? Yeah. And uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, there definitely was a time, which was also last night. I Googled it as well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> better brush up on this before going on the podcast. Um, yeah, so kind of what is effective altruism? So it, basically the idea of it is that It's a movement and a collection of people and an idea that we should kind of use our resources, whatever that is, to do as much good as possible. So, for example, rather than focusing on doing something that's like kind of good, it's like trying to do the thing that gives you the most good per unit of resource you're investing. Okay. So like with, with, with money or something, for example, with a donation, that might be something that, for example, saves the most lives per dollar donated. Or with your career, it's something that similarly like helps the most people. For me, I think the career, the career part of it is like where I put a lot of my energy Yeah, and it's kind of the idea of using your career to like work, make progress on some of the world's most pressing problems. Okay. How, how did that start for you? How did that become the thing where, I don't know, what attracted you to it mm. and what is, what is a bit of your work right now? Um, so maybe I'll just talk you through like, 
yeah, kind of how I got there, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, it definitely wasn't something I'd even heard of, like when we were in Dublin volunteering together. So I think when I came back from my year in, spent in Guyana working as a teacher, I was pretty, I was, I was kind of looking for different things I could work on that would like help, yeah. which is why I volunteered with Crisis Helpline. And I also, you know, did some stuff like VDP, Vincent yeah. DePaul, doing like uh, kids clubs and stuff in inner city Dublin. And did like a few, a few other things like during, during my time in university, I got really involved in like, in like a kind of environmental activism as well. And like mm-hmm. started to really care about climate change. I remember the Seymour Oils videos. You remember the Seymour Oils videos? <laughs> yeah, me too. I kind of want to look at them actually. Mm. Maybe for context. I'll put them in the show notes. You put them in the show notes. Well, in case you do leave this bit in, well, Seymour Oils was like a, a character, like an oil baron I created. Um, to Inspired help. by the life of a truck engine or fire engine. Yeah, sorry. exactly. Yeah. If I can't be a fire <laughs> engine, I, uh, <laughs> I'll be an oil baron instead. <laughs> And he kind of, so like we were running a campaign that was kind of trying to get the university to uh, divest, kind of like take their investments out of the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. And Seymour Royals was on the other side of this and he was like making some propaganda videos of why like the university should stay invested uh, in the fossil fuel industry. Uh, I had a great time videoing them actually. Those videos were great. Were kind of Killian get, grew this beard and mustache for it as well. It was like a Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I had long hair as well, but that was not for the, that was not for the character. That was kind of unrelated. Uh, you were you were living as the character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I started to get confused. Uh, but yeah, so like I so I got really, I got quite involved. I kind of yeah I got quite involved in like climate activism and was like, okay, this seems like a really big problem. I think the reason why I thought this was such a big problem was because oh wow, you know, if we don't work on climate change, this had this potentially could like wipe everyone out, mm-hmm. right? And like if this were to lead to like extinction. That could just be like the worst thing that would ever that would ever happen. So like preventing that from happening mm-hmm. seems like a really important thing to work on. Like I think now, now just knowing a little bit more about it, it seems like less likely to lead to like actual extinction than I than I thought it was at the time. Yeah. But yeah, this was like a big reason for me working on it at the time. And then my journey kind of from there to like actually like the ideas of effective altruism were basically like because this existential risk is actually something that effective altruism is like is pretty interested in working on and like preventing existential risk. But my journey kind of went, I started getting interested in like artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think partly because I did like a, have you ever heard of Wait But Why? Do you know Wait But Why? No, it's like a blog. But I think I, I was really into their, some of their posts and they'd done this article on like artificial intelligence and like why it could be a big deal and like how it could lead to like artificial general intelligence, which could be if it goes wrong, could be a big problem for humanity. And similarly, potentially, could be like an, ex- an extinction risk as well. Okay. And kind of taking some of these ideas seriously, I started, I read a book called like Super Intelligence mm-hmm. uh, after I graduated. So after I graduated, I took a year off and like basically, uh, you know, I was lucky. I was in a position where I had a scholarship through university and had saved some of that up. So mm-hmm. took some of that and went traveling for a year. Yeah. Um, super cheap. I think we spent like a tenner a day. Okay. We're like camping, hitchhiking, but it was basically spent that time kind of just like reading a lot mm-hmm. and one of the books i read uh was was super intelligence which was about kind of this idea that maybe artificial general intelligence mm-hmm. super intelligence yeah. sorry super intelligence as he calls it could be like one of the most important things we ever we ever create as a as a species mm-hmm. and like whether it goes well or poorly yeah well it could come down to decisions we make and that and that could be the difference between like essentially a utopia or wiping everyone out okay by Nick Bostrom. He's a he's a lecturer. He's a professor at Oxford, actually. Okay. Yeah. So I got really interested in this book, and 
was thinking quite a lot during the time I was reading and I was thinking a lot about like, oh, what should I do with my career? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what can I do to do good? Yeah. Uh, and someone recommended 80,000 Hours, which is, it's like a website and an organization uh-huh. that basically provides careers advice on how you can use your career to, the, to do the most good. Okay. So they've done like a bunch of research. They've been around for like 10 years now, I think. Okay. And yeah, they advise people on how to use their career to do the most good. Would seriously recommend, like, I think it's super interesting. And yeah, kind of through there, I went through like their old careers guide, which kind of like walks you through like how to think about these things and just got really interested in some of their ideas. And they also, yeah, they were thinking about like extinction risk mm-hmm. and yeah. So kind of, I read, I read their stuff and just got like really interested in it. And then because they're a part of the effective altruism community, yeah. I started to get more and more involved. Mm-hmm. And we were moving to Oxford because Ashling was, yeah, Ashling, my, my partner Ashling, which you know, who you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, so she started studying, she got into grad med in, uh, in Oxford. Mm-hmm. So we moved there and coincidentally, Oxford is like one of the hubs of effective altruism. Okay. So I was already really interested in the ideas and like really interested in learning more and kind of like starting to move my career in that direction. Cause it seemed like potentially one of the most important things I could do with my career. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Oxford and just started to, you know, join the reading groups and just get more and more involved and learn more yeah. and spent a lot of time like thinking about my career and also like testing out different career paths. So mm-hmm. like, I took, a, I took a job as a data analyst, yeah. but I specifically took a job that gave me like a lot of time on yeah. the side that I could use to like test out different careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that kind of, yeah, kind of, led, kind of led to where I am now because like one of the careers I was like, one of the paths I was like prioritizing like really strongly was like, oh, founding like a new project, particularly yeah. a new project focused on building mm-hmm. the effective altruism community Yeah, could be one of the highest impact things to do for me. Okay. Yeah. That is very interesting. And I'm yeah. glad you talked about how that came about for you as well. I don't know, things, things align and it's like, I don't want to sound too meta, but like things align in like the best ways possible for you to be in a place uh, where that could happen. Um, having talked about that, how does that work with what you're doing at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last summer I went through an incubation program, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, so there's this organization in London called Charity Entrepreneurship and their whole goal, the whole thing they do is they try to help found high impact charities. Mm-hmm. They basically do like a bunch of research into different cause areas and try to figure out what are the most important charities that should exist in these in these cause areas that don't yet exist. Mm-hmm. Then they get in people into the incubation program, mm-hmm. train them up for two months. Yeah. You do like co-founder pairing, which is like weirdly like Love Island. No, genuinely, like it's like because <laughs> you're like <laughs> you're like you're working on projects together. It's like it's a kind of funny actually. It's, uh, you're working on projects together, and then you kind of have to find a co-founder, right? So you're trying to come across really well. Like, yeah. do you want a couple you're up? You're trying to court them. You're trying to court them, yeah. yeah. You're trying to court them. Okay, exactly. So, um, uh, so I went through that and that's how I founded the organization I'm working on now. Because okay. one of the things they were, one of their cause areas last year was effective altruism. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit meta basically, but like our organization helps other people have an impact yeah. basically with their career. Yeah. For anybody listening in, mm. what what is it that your, your team and you do? Mm. Like what's the work that you guys do? So we're called Training for Good and we basically run training programs that help people enter high impact careers. Okay. So specifically what we do a lot of the time is we run training programs that take people from kind of where they are to enable them to enter uh, these impactful career paths. Okay. Yeah. I can give you examples of some of the ones we're doing. Go on. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. It's like one thing is policy, for example. So a lot of people who want to have an impact, if you go into policy, you can... I mean, I guess this is a lot of the time where change happens, right? Because even if you're doing research or you're doing advocacy, that only works if the people who are policymakers actually like act on act on what you're on what you're doing. 
yeah, there's like not a lot of people who are interested in this, in this, these ideas, in like this effectiveness mindset mm-hmm. who are kind of going into policy. Uh, but there are some who want to. So it's like, well, what's happening here? So we surveyed a lot of these people to figure out like, what's the bottleneck here? What's stopping you? And some of the things we found out were like people basically didn't know where they should go in policy. Like, you know, what roles can I can I actually enter that, that will have an impact? So we've designed a program. It's like a four week program to help people assess their fit for different roles. So they kind of explore different roles. They have Q and A's with different people who are policymakers to understand better what their role is like and how they have an impact. And then by the end of it, you have like a career plan for like, where should I go okay. within policy um, to make progress on the causes that I care about? I'm I'm always curious. One of the conversations that I've had for this podcast has been around masculinity. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that we asked and we talked about was how do we create a space for men to be healthy and encourage that? And I'll, I'll spin that question for what we've talked about as well. Mm-hmm. How do we create a space for more people to get involved and be able to learn more about it mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, question the system Mm-hmm. That they grew up around. How do we? How do we do that? What do you think? Gosh, I'm not really sure. So, how, how, how do we get more people to kind of? Because I, I think it comes to a place of how do we? It's 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 actually quite in line with the work we used to do with the helpline as well. Is like how do we get people to be more empathetic mm. and think more about others than themselves? Because at the end of the day, you wouldn't do any of the work you're doing right mm. now if you didn't give a shit about you know other people. I wonder if there's studies on this of like what works and what doesn't. Because I know, for example, like some different like courses and stuff on like animal rights, for example, there's like, I, I'm, I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that some of these courses are like correlated with people becoming vegan and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an education component to it. But also even with that, for example, with like, you know, doing programs that like help people understand like animal ethics and like yeah, maybe explore the ideas that different animals might be sentient and we might care about them. I think even the conversion between people who do that course and people who like ultimately put these ideas into action and like become vegan or whatever, I think the conversion is still pretty small. So maybe that just implies that, you know, in society, I'm sorry, I'm using this case almost yeah, to think yeah. like wider. It's like maybe there's just like some people who will who who will be inclined. They're mm-hmm. like broto impact people or something yeah. who will be inclined to some of these ideas and like working on like just doing good. But maybe there's other people who you just can never convince and they can never, yeah. they will, they can never, and they will never like, you know, yeah. reconsider some of, some of the ideas they've grown up with, which I think is like totally fair. So yeah, sorry. I'm not really sure that doesn't really answer your question, but, no, but it's a, it's a, it's a mountain to <laughs> just like tackle, to be very honest. Like for me, I think the crucial element to it is the capacity to see ourselves in others. And this sounds selfish. And maybe, you know, in every selfless act, there is a hint of selfishness. Mm -hmm. The moment we start seeing ourselves in the people that aren't like us or come from the same privilege that we do, Mm -hmm. I think that's where like the seed of empathy is born. It's that. For me, I I always, I'm I'm a grassroots thinker. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's where it starts. For me, putting like this conversation out for like, I hope more people listen to this, but like, even if like five people listen to this. Mm. then you know there's five more people who are maybe thinking about this and how that idea multiplies and grows i i I do have to agree i don't think you can put somebody down through a course and make them be more altruistic or empathetic Mm. you you have to have something within you Mm. um and i as as i'm learning now um a lot of early childhood your own parental systems your you know the culture the society it's all Mm. such a big part of who you are um, but yeah, one can one can hope one can hope, Killian, 
That's, that's interesting. interesting. When you say when you say innate, like, do you think like some people are just like from birth, kind of like no. genetically more? So so, that, so that's where I. There there are whole strands of people who believe that it, people are innately born a certain way. What I meant it as innate is like early years, whatever is you know you're fed mm. the ideas, the care, the love, the you know environment plays such a big part. Mm. People from horrible environments have gone on to do great things, but I think it just sets you up at a advantage to do more good if mm-hmm. you already had good enough kind of growing up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking to the time when you told your mom, I was like, someday I will donate a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying it, I was like, I can see how your mom would react to it in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see how my mom would have reacted to it. Like you do that big man, that's actually a good thing. Because to a kid, a hundred pounds seems like a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Think of the sweets you could buy. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I used to, did, you, did you do this as well? When I was younger, I used to always think of money in terms of like uh, pick and mix. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> so we, I wasn't pick and mix for me. That We used to, oh, I miss these so much. We used to have Milky Bar chews. It sounds great. They were like chewy Milky Bars. Oh, wow. Um, but not like... Thin chewy, like dense chewy. Okay. Um, they were delightful, man. And How they many used of them to be... could you buy for a hundred euro? So, oh my God, a hundred. Well, I'd say a hundred pounds because that'd be ten thousand rupees today. Okay. And ten thousand rupees in two thousand one would have been like equivalent of like I'm gonna say thirty thousand rupees today. And so, if one Milky Bar chew cost like at the time two rupees, okay. Can you imagine 000. the? <laughs> I would be, I would be yeah. the king of Milky Bar. You would not fit through this door, I don't think. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, but but, you, but you, if you would kind of said this to your mother, like, oh, I'm going to donate like 15,000 Milky Bar Chewies, yeah, she, she wouldn't have. She would have been like, you do that. That's a good thing oh, to she, do. Yeah, yeah. Because our family surprisingly never promoted selfishness. We looked down on selfishness. Mm-hmm. But like, I've, I've known so many people who don't do charity, which is why I'm glad we've had this conversation. So how do we make the most impact? Mm. I could have bought like 15,000 Milky Bars and donated them and they wouldn't have done anybody good. Whereas you could use that same 100p and do a lot of good with it or yeah. more good than those Milky Bars would do, which is what I'm, yeah. why why you're here and why I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think that actually, though, I think it's like very easy as well though to, it's like with the, with the, like with the 1p, for example, or the 10,000 rupees you can use to buy like either Milky Bars or donate, right? Yeah. I even think within donating though, it's like sometimes we, really, like not all charities are going to be born equal, right? Like, yeah. you know, like some charities are going to do a lot less good with that 10,000 rupees than others mm-hmm. will. And like, I think we should probably like more rigorously like examine the impact and like the good yeah. that char- some charities are doing and like give to the ones that do the most good and help the most people. Yeah. Because I think if we just care about like helping people, we want to help as many people as we can, right? And like, I think like some, like there's there's actually a great, I recommend you actually uh, give well. It's like a, an organization that basically like looks at all of the charities in the, in the global health space, in yeah. the global health and development space, and basically try well not looks at all of them, but looks looks at some and tries yeah. to find like the best ones, the ones that save the most lives per mm-hmm. per dollar. And they recommend like against malaria foundation and like basically it's one of their recommendations. They have they have a bunch of them. But like it seems like you can basically save a life for for every three thousand five hundred dollars you donate. Damn. Uh, which is kind of nuts, right? Because I mean like if you're if you're like on like median salary in the UK yeah. and you're donating 10%, let's say, which is not insubstantial, right? It's yeah. not, but it's not insubstantial, but compared to how much good you can do with that, if you are going to donate 10%, you could save a life. That's 10% year. for you. That is somebody's life. It's somebody's life, yeah. right? And like, what about, like, if you're earning like 35 grand, yeah. 
losing 3,500, I'm not going to say that maybe it's not possible for everyone. Yeah. But for a lot of people, I think it is. Yeah. And you could literally save a life every year yeah. by, by not potentially, maybe not actually like forgoing that much stuff yourself. I mean, bring seven of your mates from the place of work and all donate 500 quid each at the end of the year. It's better than mm. buying a new AirPods. Do you know what right, I mean? Totally, yeah. It's damn. Yeah. Oh, for the cost of somebody's life, listen, like the impact there, yeah. that's incredible. Totally. And like, but it is, it is incredible though, right? Because like, I actually genuinely think like it's sometimes it's really easy to like abstract away or something and just think like of doing good. But it's like, like what do you actually mean? You mean like saving lives and helping people have be more happier. And like yeah. when you actually think about that, like actually saving someone's life, like genuinely, like, that's like a whole other person that you're just like. Exactly. It is the greatest privilege, I believe, to be of aid to, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, you know, if I have kids or what their world will be like. But what I'm trying to get at is if you can make like, I know 3,500 is insubstantial, but like if that is the cost of like a vacation, right? Expensive vacation. (laughs) Yeah. But like, say if it's a, you know, bougie vacation that you're going to, that compared to someone's life. And what that life could do and could mean and the potential that that life has. Mm-hmm. Fuck the vacation mm-hmm. <laughs> every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible how much good that can be done. But I'm glad because I would have asked you if there's ways people can find what the most effective ways to donate would be. But like for me, if I ever donate. Um, so there's a charity that I donate to every month. And I just went and did like shit ton of research. Mm. So for anybody listening in, if you... If this is a cause that you, you know, is personal to you, if you feel passionately about it, I'd recommend checking out the Equal Justice Initiative, mm-hmm. if you know what that is. Never heard of it, actually. So Equal Justice Initiative was started by Brian Stevenson mm-hmm. um, in the States, and they did a movie about it as well called Just Mercy. And mm-hmm. the EJI exclusively looks at men on, or black prisoners in, on death row mm-hmm. and wrongfully incarcerated mm-hmm. and tries to get them justice and off death row. And the work that they're doing, I would, I just recommend, check them out. Mm. They're, they're good people. And watch the movie as well. It's got Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan, and it's one heck of a tear I'm sold already. It's brilliant. Would, would recommend. What's, what's, what was the name of the organization? Uh, Equal Justice Initiative. I'll leave it in the show notes as well. And the movie is called Just Mercy. Just Mercy. I might check that out. Yeah, very good. Uh, okay, my last two questions for you, Killian. Yeah. Um, yes. these, these, are, these are good, spicy questions because I, I tend to ask them to question. everybody on. So I have a time machine. Sorry, I didn't tell you this in advance, mm-hmm. but I have a time machine and I'm now going to send you to 10-year-old Killian. What do you tell 10-year-old Killian? You have an hour with him. Okay. I think, like, so t- okay, so maybe context first before I tell you, like, what I would tell 10-year-old me. The 10-year-old me was, like, maybe, like, more, felt like more of, like, a social, like, weirdo or something mm-hmm. um, in school because, like, wasn't particularly good at sports, maybe, like, a bit chubbier than I am now. Mm-hmm. And like just very into reading and like kind of like comic books and yeah. would draw comics a lot and would have like, yeah, I used to draw comics. I actually threw them out. In, um, <sighs> yeah, I know. I was thinking about it recently because I had all these like stupid characters that I wish I could read now and like see like, Damn. yeah, see what 10 year old me thought. Uh, one of them was Mr. Smiley. That was my superhero. So I think I would just like go back to 10 year old me and kind of just like give him a bit of a pep talk. Mm. To be honest. What would you say? Um, I think I'd tell him that nobody thinks about you as much as you think they think about you. Because you're not that special. <laughs> uh, genuinely though. Because I think like, like, that's one thing I realized in the last few years. When like, whenever I would like overthink things or anything, it's like, 
particularly like social scenarios or like how I'm come across or like whatever. And it's like, oh, no, no one else is thinking about this. Mm-hmm. It's just me. So yeah. I can just stop thinking about it and it's not an issue anymore. Uh, I think that's one thing. I think I just like, I think I think it would be like, yeah, around some, something around that and something around kind of like, maybe just like being like, you're not weird or something. Mm-hmm. I think this, I didn't want to get too deep or something, but I think I thought I was weird. I think I thought I was a weird kid. And like, maybe I was in some ways, but I think I'd just be like, you're not that weird. Mm-hmm. It's fun. You know, this works out for the best. You end up having like a fun personality. You're an awesome person. You're like super worthwhile. And like your interests are totally legit and you should cultivate them. If you want to keep drawing comics, do it. If you want to, you know, keep doing drama, keep doing it. Like, you know, who cares? Yeah. What anyone else says, you don't need to be tough or something. I think like after when I I went from being like 10 to like being in secondary school, I think I like tried to like flip my narrative from like feeling like I had been like somewhat bullied to then like being like, okay, well, no, I'm not going to secondary school and like this happening again. So like, you know, I ended up like, I think I've probably told you this before, but I ended up like being a bit of a bully. But I think I just like, maybe I just like talk 10 year old me out of doing that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of be like, you don't have to prove yourself or something or it's like, don't let it get to you or something. I'm like, cheer up, Charlie. Uh, that sounds like 10 year old me is very sad. 10 year old me had a great time. But I think that would be like, um, yeah, that's what I would tell you. Now, I can't send you to the future. Okay. What is your hope for yourself 10 years in the future? Because I will send mm-hmm. you this episode 10 years from today. Uh, I'm going to go on a side note for a second, because when we were way when we were in secondary school, our first year, mm-hmm. our like careers counselor person who was in the school made everyone record videos, right? And like told us that she was going to show them back to us in the final year. <laughs> she never did. She never did. <laughs> Oh my God, she never showed them back to us. No, I was like waiting for like five or six years for this. I was like, oh, I can't wait. What was, oh what my was God. 12 year old me like? And then she just lost them. That is incredible. No, I will not lose it. I will okay, send it to you. Because uh, actually it would be interesting. Uh, I guess nothing gets lost in the in cyberspace. The internet, yeah. Uh, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> What's your hope for yourself 10 years in the future? What do you mm. hope for yourself? Uh, yeah, I think probably like a couple of things. I mean, there's a long different dimensions, right? Like, so like, Go for it. Yeah, I think like, honestly, my main hope is probably like something to do with like career. But the reason why it's something to do with career is because I think like my career is probably like the most likely way I can help like a lot of people. Yeah. So like in 10 years time, I would hope that either our current or our current organization or like a future organization I'll like work for or have have started will basically have helped like shit loads of people. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. So like, I'm not sure how to put a number on that exactly. But just like, I would like in 10 years if I like looked back and was like, wow, I never would have imagined mm-hmm. that these many lives would have been like positively impacted um, by my work over the, ten, over the last 10 years. Like that's, that's, that's what I would like really like. And that's probably like the main thing. If I could only like, if this is a genie and I only have one wish, even that's... if I have three wishes, I'll put all three on that, right? Okay. But then other dimensions are probably like, I think I'd, I'd like to be like just like super happy. So like I'd like in 10 years just to, yeah, just to, if, if like you asked me on like a random day, mm-hmm. how are you doing nowadays? I would be like, solidly like eight to ten out of ten mm-hmm. and like feel just like yeah pretty happy content um, and i think like the things that would feed into that would just be like having like a super loving relationship um so like you know i'm very happy with ashley at the moment we have like a lovely relationship yeah and i can totally see a scenario where you know we be, we basically end up staying together and having like having kids and mm-hmm. that sounds awesome i really want to have kids so like in 10 years time i would like to have kids yeah i would like to have like a very happy very happy family, basically. I would like to have, like, 
few young ones, 10 years time, yeah, a few young ones in 10 years time, have a partner, very close to my family, still see them like very regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Always have really tight friendships and like probably settled somewhere. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this is like, no, this that's, is rambling, that's the but, purpose of this. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want 10 years from now? Oh, wow. Uh, I want. I, I. This is my standard answer because I want. Nah, to will- don't give me the standard no, answer. The, Go the, off, no, beast. this is the, the the reason. This is the answer is because I want to will this into existence. This is like my hope and You're dream. You're manifesting it. Yeah, I. I really want this to happen because I want to give other creatives the opportunity to explore their creativity. Cool. Without worrying about money or a place to stay. Mm. And the way I imagine that to be is a countryside cafe in the middle of nowhere mm. uh, with an army of dogs. Army of dogs. Uh, Sounds where, aggressive. <laughs> yeah, where, where it's a creative collective, basically. Yeah. I, I want I want to give people the opportunity to feel some agency towards what they're doing, hence the cafe. So like you work yeah. for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they should worry about is, you know, just the weather. If that. Mm. Like I want them to have the capacity to riff off each other, birth these brilliant creative ideas. Man, that's super cool. And I want that to happen. And so whatever I do over the next 10 years, I hope at the very least that that is on the horizon, if not having already happened, like it's close Mm. to being happening than it is now. Like right now I need to have a career that I can use the money from to make this dream happen. Mm -hmm. And obviously a lot of things have to happen for that. I need a citizenship. I need a piece of land. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that will happen, but that's what I well and truly want. It's not the it's it's that I want to because for me as a creative I juggle I have to struggle with constantly feeding myself and I can't mm. create as much as I want to because of constraints of like I have to financially mm. look after myself as well and that I mean I wish money wasn't a factor here but money is and mm. kind of have to worry about that has this been has it been your ambition for a while yeah this is why the writer project started oh, okay. uh, because I wanted other creatives the only thing that they I wanted them to worry about is like just send me your writing let's nerd out over it i will put mm. it out i will edit it i will host this i will pay for the servers just mm. just write nice so you'd be so i'm like awesome okay i didn't know so that. moving the right of project from a digital to an actual to a like, physical space physical space and you'd have like a community i guess of people yeah. and like are you also kind of like this they're not paying for accommodation no it's all taken care of nice do they get, do they get like meals yeah nice like, have you heard of the chelsea hotel before no sounds like somewhat similar so the chelsea hotel is something that existed in like the in the 80s, I think, in New York. Yeah. And it was basically like a wealthy philanthropist bought this hotel uh-huh. in the center of in the center of New York. Yeah. And all of the big name musicians um, would have stayed there for a period of time. Yeah. They, it basically just created this like creative community, yeah. which just like, it kind of sounds exactly like what That's we're trying what to create. And like, it was just like such a great place to, to make art and yeah. like create art. But this, basically the deal, I'm not sure if it was like, official or unspoken mm-hmm. was for the people who go on to be super successful yeah. you would then like either donate a piece of art back or like give some of the proceeds back yeah. and that's what allowed that's what enabled the hotel to sustain itself uh, and it sounded like an awesome an awesome like an awesome place and it just sounds like you could create like a very similar yeah i mean i'm, I'm i will eventually have to work the financial side of that when that's actually mm. on the verge of happening but can you imagine if you put like people bubbling with ideas mm. in a room together and see what comes of it. Mm, totally. Just like the world needs more creativity. Though. Yeah, it will absolutely. always need more people to tell stories and write music. and Because it allows people to see themselves. Right? Yeah. But yeah. That's, nice. That's my, that's my dream for 10 years in the future. I like it. It's a nice dream. 
Yeah, and I, I hope, if not this podcast, I still get to have conversations with people because I love this. I love this more on some days than the writing that I do. This is a whole other way to flex my creativity. Anyway, that's a lot of hopes for 10 years. And I hope for you. I hope all of that comes to pass. I'd love to see your kids, man. Uh, I think you're going to be a great dad. I said this to you before. I think you're going to be a great dad. I think so too. Let's hope the kids think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, they won't. They'll be in therapy and eventually realize that, <laughs> you know, dad wasn't all too bad. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. He was an okay guy. Yeah. Um, well, our dad is actually great. Yeah. <laughs> Despite all the bad jokes he makes. Yeah. All yeah, the I'm, bad I'm jokes. super excited to have kids, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, like, be I great. actually, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can wait. I was going to say I can't wait, but like, I can wait. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to have kids like yeah. now, but. Yeah. But you're looking forward to it. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I'll be uh, to visit your farm. Or not your, what are you going to call it, actually? I don't know. I, the funny thing is, the writer project wasn't meant to be the name of the website. Okay. When I was looking for domains, it was meant to be the writer's project. Uh, it wasn't available. And so I went up for the next thing that sounded really good. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds great. Um, because the writing project was taken as well. I was like, well, this is taken as well. But obviously, anybody listening in, writer project has become more than just writing. Mm. So I think, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, someday maybe. Names yeah. are a tricky one, aren't they? Yeah. You gotta have the domain available. You gotta make it broad enough that you, in case you move into other activities. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I hope, I hope for both of us, all of this comes to pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to Killian's kids who will eventually listen to this episode, I hope you can appreciate how amazing this guy is because you're a sensational, breathtaking, how we started this episode, More the adjectives. stellar, yeah. <laughs> the paragon of humanity. I think you missed a few. <laughs> but no, mate, I, I, I appreciate you. you so much. I appreciate you too. I hope your future uh, people on your farm will listen back and think amazing things. Where can people find you if they want to, you know, see what you're doing? Am I allowed to plug the Twitter on the show? Oh, I started Twitter. Yeah, yeah, you can put my Twitter in if you want. I started Twitter like two days ago, so you can find me at Killian Crossan. Or uh, if you're interested in our our organization, that's like trainingforgood.com. I'll leave both of those in the show notes. Mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you do. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday. And if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.